This is episode 106 of G.I. Joburg, and this is our holiday special. My name is Steven, and I'm joined today only by... Jingle Bells Paul. Oh, Paul, it's just you and me, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's a two-man mission. <laughs> exactly. It's a two-man up. Exactly. Yeah. And what more fitting way to do it than you and me, buddy, because that's how it all started out, man. Uh, this is the silly season, and Cujo and Rob are both very much uh, inundated with other intrigues at this point. So, listeners, you are stuck with us, the original flavors. <laughs> Steve Flavor and Paul yep. Flavor. What do you taste like, Paul? <laughs> Actually, don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, but, but together, we're two great flavors that taste great together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Paul... <laughs> What's your holiday season feeling like right now? My holiday season is feeling... Well, it's uh, it's been quite a crazy year, so I'm just trying to find a way to, to wind down. My dogs are obviously deciding to go crazy. Yeah, I'm just... I'm actually just trying to, to catch myself, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't know if anybody else out there in the listening sphere is feeling the same way, but uh, it's been quite a hectic year. <laughs> I would guess that most people are feeling like that right now, Paul. Uh, everyone's a little bit shaken. I mean, it's been one hell of a year, I'd say. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, are you feeling the same way? Uh, I know I do. Uh, I feel your your pain, Paul. Uh, just uh, now is the time to hopefully decompress a little bit. But then again, do the holidays ever afford you that opportunity? It's absolute pandemonium. Yeah, because you're going from being like, you're working like a crazy man, and then you're trying to get everything done for Christmas. And and everybody does their festive, their holiday season differently. We do Christmas here at my house, but uh, it's kind of different. Like we're not going all out and buying like presents for each other or anything like that. We're we're basically just relaxing. Uh, we put up the tree. Uh, we're looking at something for the house. You know, one or two things for the house that we can maybe put some extra money towards and that kind of thing. You know, so that's kind of how we're doing it. But wow, Sounds this is very been tranquil, first. man. My goodness. Yeah. I'm unfortunately in the other camp where it's loads of family just descend on us during the holiday season. Uh, lots of Christmas shopping. And of course, in my profession, this is the busiest time of year. So I have no time to myself. But, and I'm sure many people out there can commiserate. Uh, so, Paul, do you have any wise words as to how best to cope with the holidays, G.I. Joe style? Yeah, man. So traditionally for us as kids, you know, G.I. Joe and Christmas were synonymous. Christmas would be filled with cool little boxes of possibly a Transformer or a G.I. Joe and then later on video games. So I, I kind of, uh, during Christmas, I try to try to get back to that a little bit. And this year, it played out a little differently. <laughs> for the first time in a very long time, I've also had to do a lot of family stuff that I've never done before. I've been to like at least four Christmas dinners. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a piece of my pain, brother. Yeah, because I mean, Lily's family, they there's quite a big family and they're quite a close family. And then there's family friends that are doing Christmas dinners and I've just been everywhere. You couldn't keep it quiet this year, hey? Hey, hey, hey? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's... So I'm glad we're, we're both on the same page here then. Bam. Exactly. Bam. But I need some G.I. Joe for Christmas, and i got to say, last year at Christmas, I made a cool little G.I. Joe computer terminal. And uh, 
that was quite a lot of fun and it actually it got me it got my brain turning on on things that I could do with GI Joe and whatever. And now I have this really amazing pterodrome and I want to start doing stuff for that pterodrome. So I think one of the things I, I think that that's going to help me survive this silly season without any new GI Joe and I'm talking about new GI Joe from Hasbro and and, and the fact that I don't have any GI Joes to look up to under the tree uh, means that I can actually start doing my small little mods that I want to make out of styrene and add to my pterodrome. And I think uh, to our listeners out there, I'm sure you guys are feeling the same lull. I'm not saying that, hey, guys, you should go and get yourselves into customizing, but there are some pretty cool 1 to 18 uh, scale offerings out there at the moment. And my favorite thus far has been the cause. Uh, Jurassic Clash, um, and I picked up a Velociraptor and the Sabertooth Tiger, and um, as I'm sort of warming up to doing my Pterodrome, I'm going to do something very cool with that Raptor, because how cool is it to put a G.I. Joe on a Raptor? That That is what we've been reduced to as G.I. Joe fans, is is finding ways to integrate our GI Joes with other toy lines and and things like that. So anyone who's listening to this and is a long time listener knows that Paul has a thing about GI Joes and dinosaurs. So uh, it should come as no surprise. I don't know if anyone else harbors that same kind of fetish, but if you do, the core has provided. So there's some cool stocking fillers. Hell, they've even got some rather large scale items. Don't they have a, a T Rex? Set? They do. They have a T-Rex. Cybernetic Kong play set as well. Yes. I just haven't seen it on our shelves yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to see that uh, T-Rex and Diorama, because they've got like one that's got a T-Rex, it's got a Jeep, and it's got a bit of like a cave or something that it comes with. And, and I would like to drop some cash on that. I think it'll be about a whole 500 grand, because uh, the T-Rex is 350. And I want to actually grab that because I think it'll make for a great G.I. Joe playset. So I think as G.I. Joe fans, we can sort of circle the wagons a little bit and find other ways to make our Joe fun. So number one on Paul's survival list is go and get yourself some core dinosaurs and, and let's let's make um, the G.I. Joe Dino Rider crossover we've always wanted. <laughs> I've always wanted. <laughs> Adding to oh. that, I recently saw the True Heroes uh boat that ship mm-hmm. the sentinel boat whatever it is uh it would make a cool it's, cool, uh, it's a it's a cool support uh, craft for your your flag setup you know uh, if you want to build a fleet sure it's undersized but so is the flag and it's still a pretty hefty piece of plastic and definitely belongs in the pool if you happen to be uh, in the southern hemisphere this time of year <laughs> yeah yeah oh, de- definitely and that monstrous helicopter, the grey one, I'm also seeing a Toys yeah. R Us, and uh, I think I need to issue a retraction. In my most recent YouTube video, I touted that the Chapmay Chinook was, in fact, the most cavernous uh, helicopter money could buy, even more cavernous than the AC-130 Shark, but I can't confirm or deny yet, but it seems like that gigantic grey helo from the Sentinel line comes with a Jeep. So presumably it has the internal space to accommodate the Jeep, which could easily put it in the same class as the Chinook, if not larger. Uh, damn it, I am going to have to buy that thing, aren't I? Ugh, another oversized 
vehicle in my life. Damn it. Mm. It's mm. my kryptonite, I swear. <laughs> I hear you, man. I mean, I was even uh, tempted to... I mean, I sent you photos of these, um, but there's, there's two jets uh, that have been released through the True Heroes line. Uh, one of them is... Uh, an F-22-ish looking kind of jet and it's got an ejector seat function. It looks like a lot of fun, but the one that has actually grabbed my attention was the one that I feel is kind of a knockoff of the Ghost Striker, the X-16. It pretty much has most of the features that the Ghost Striker has. It just it just looks like a chubby F-16, which I think is what ultimately has pushed me away from it. But uh, it's, got, it's got its appeal as well. I don't think I can support you that it looks like an F-16. No, that's the that, that's haven't you seen the other one? Because there there's two. There's yeah, the one I've seen that looks both. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one it's uh, the one is kind of a, a, a grayish blue. Uh, it has swing yes. wings and the ejector seat. And the other isn't it black with a with a trigger at the bottom. The blue one also has the targeting <laughs> feature. The the one that has the ejector seat also has the light up target. Uh, yes, yeah. Oh, review forthcoming as soon as I get an opportunity to shoot it. As soon as my family actually leave for their their summer vacation up the coast. And that's in the coming yeah. new year. I will I will be able to be alone with my toys again. <sighs> but uh, yeah, I'm sure everyone out there can commiserate. And then the other thing is, I think just to survive this Christmas without any new GI Joe product, and also once again going back to some of the one to eighteen scale offerings that are out there. If you've got kids, I think now's one of the coolest times. I mean, you're not at work. You know, hopefully you're you're on leave um, and you're spending the Christmas holidays at home with your kids if you have them. Um, and now is a great time to to pull out some of those toys because I know that as GI Joe collectors, some some of us can be quite precious about our kids maybe handling GI Joe stuff. Not that I have kids, but we could we can be quite precious about that, or maybe family members and maybe having our true heroes jet or tank or boat in your collection and. Maybe some of your sturdier figures or some of your core figures, and you you could actually you know just you you know you could for the sake of just having fun with your kids. I mean, you could call them one guy Snake Eyes and Duke and whatever, and you can go and do that, you know. And that's that's the joy of toys. I mean, you know, pass them on to the kids, but don't let them break your cool stuff. <laughs> You've been taking notes from Strident, my brother. <laughs> Have I? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. A lot of love for the efforts of other toy companies right now. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that score. And, guys, even if you can't find any new cool Jonas to enjoy, and if these uh, generic toy lines don't give you any love, you've still got us. We can be your G.I. Joe fix for the holidays. When everyone else fails, G.I. Joeberg doesn't. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to have some holiday fun with G.I. Joe right here and right now. One of the other ways G.I. Joe Berg is going to enjoy Christmas is by actually playing with our toys. Now, as you listeners know, Steve and Rob are in a completely different geographical location to what I am. And Cujo is all the way in America, um, oh, sunny Southern California, sunny West Beach, California. I don't know, whatever. Long Beach, <laughs> Long Beach, he's from Long Beach, yes, um, where he's keeping it real, so, you know, we also like to get together, we're big kids, we want to play with our toys, and we've decided to have some head-on, or should we say head-on, head no, head-to-head uh, head clashes between some awesome G.I. Joe vehicles, and maybe not awesome G.I. Joe vehicles, but we figured, hey, why not? Oh, no, so this, 
I'm very pleased with our toys selection for this afternoon. I, I couldn't be happier. These are cool, cool toys. Some that we have, some that we wish we had. And maybe you, dear listener, will feel the same way after we're done discussing them. Sometime back in our prehistory, we used to do this. Uh, we would deathmatch various vehicles that we thought uh, classed nicely together. And in a discussion of both the technical merits and the toy merits of these vehicles, we would decide which one would indeed trump the other. In this episode, you guys decide. We're going to be conducting polls on Facebook and Twitter that will run from now until December 31st. Yes, that's right. New Year's Eve. Uh, and those polls will determine which vehicle trumps the other in this head-to-head -head duel. I promise none of the battles involve the PTE horse versus a Mobat. At least this time. <laughs> what about the PTE camel versus the PTE horse? Yeah! You never got one of those camels, bro. They are awesome. Uh, I, and that's, that's awesome. something I want to do on YouTube shortly. A top five PTE vehicles and equipment list. Mmm. Expect to see that soon. So, Joe fans, uh, go and grab your toys. Should I say, we encourage you to, to grab your toys and, and try and get into the battle with us and, and we're gonna announce the figures, uh, just before we do the heads of the matchup, um, so that you guys can quickly run out to your toy collection and go and grab, uh, the vehicle that we're gonna be clashing with. <laughs> You're gonna have to be really, really, really fast, cause we're not gonna give you much of a lead. The first matchup is our vintage clash, the Armadillo versus the Cobra Stun. <laughs> Two vehicles you love to hate or hate to love. <laughs> I don't know, man. There seems to be some serious love for both of these. Not mm. held by me personally. <laughs> I'll say that outright. I, um, yeah, I've never sought either of these vehicles for my own collection. I can appreciate their classic qualities, but they've always had fugly designs for my part. But in this battle, I will be representing the forces of G.I. Joe, and Paul will be representing Cobra. Cobra! <laughs> I guess that means I should go first, in terms of uh, oh, yeah. arguments, because, you know, uh, the armadillo does predate the stun, and also it is the goodie, which typically... Yeah, they always typically led the charge on vehicle classes. You know, you always got a shark before you got a sea ray, for instance. So what can I say about the armadillo? Well, there's not a great deal to say. It's a tank that's been shrunken down to the point where your driver peeks out of the top of it like, uh, yeah, like an idiot. Um, he's slumped down into the vehicle to the point where uh, there is... No clearance from the ground. But these are all toy concerns, and I'm going to try and divorce myself uh, from it. This vehicle is introduced to us in the pages of Marvel Comics as being very fast, but in spite of its diminutive size, it has no less than four 60mm cannons. Uh, I'm going to argue that the scaling of that is slightly off. These cannons, surely are no larger than 30 millimeters. But even at 30 millimeters, you've got more than enough firepower 
to deal with something as pesky, as exposed, as flimsy, as frail, as precariously balanced as the stun. What say you, Paul? I say that the stun, uh, for any faults that it might have in terms of flimsiness, it definitely makes up for it with its really big laser guns, which I'm going to accept as laser guns because that's what it says on the blueprints. Um, <laughs> I've heard other people say that they are rocket guns, but uh, you know that's neither here nor there. We can we can we can take the blueprints to be gospel. I'm going to take the blueprints as gospel because. I can't see any. Uh, I don't see any ammo storage for rockets, and it's got a rear firing capability as well, which means that if somehow uh, the armadillo could actually get fast enough to chase the the stun down, uh, at least I can pepper it with uh, nine mil, <laughs> uh, nine millimeters of irritation, <laughs> you know, because I yeah. So um, this kind of what kind of terrain do you think we're gonna we're gonna match this up on? I mean, you know, ultimately, I think what can make or break these vehicles is the, the terrain that they they handle themselves on. I'm gonna say that it doesn't matter much for the armadillo because in any kind of terrain you're outclassed, buddy. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you say to that, sir? Well, I'm just trying to work out the scenario here. I mean, I'm just uh, I'm I, I just see the little armadillo. And it's on a little like I don't know recon mission, or it's just it's ahead of the the tank column, and it's scouting around. And I've got my little stun. And uh, you try and suggest uh, an environment that you think that the stun would beat the armadillo on, and I'll uh, I'll respond to that. Okay, Let, let's start with a fun little desert terrain. You know, we got the we got three very angry cobra troopers on this um, stun. We got one motor viper that's piloting the thing, and and he's barking off orders to the rest of them. And this lonely armadillo sort of creeping through the desert um, ahead of a, of a tank column. And, um, you know, it's, it's getting very close to Cobra territory. So they reckon, okay, cool, we're going to take it out. And um, the first thing we do is we just race up, up a dune like as fast as we can. And we go over the armadillo. And I don't even have to use the stun's weapon because my Cobra troopers could throw a grenade into the seating compartment. As we leap over it, and then we, <laughs> I don't even have to use my big guns yet. Well, I think by the time you've gotten that close to the armadillo, you're pretty much within range of my 30 millimeter quad guns, and at that rate of fire, you know, you'd be drilled to oblivion. It doesn't matter where I've shot the stun; it could be in the most armored portion, which is probably that front carapace. Hell, you can't even speak about armor when it comes to the stun. It's just, it's a death trap. You can't deny that. Your driver is seated in the highest position. So, you know, yep. on, on most terrains, he is presenting the, the cleanest kill. Um, but as I say, to, to, the, to the armament that the armadillo is packing, you know, it doesn't matter where I hit you. You're going down, son. Well, if you hit me in the tires, I'm totally fine because I've got all-terrain <laughs> puncture-proof tires. <laughs> yeah, um, dealing with 30 millimeter cannon shells, they would blow those tires clean off. But okay, okay, if 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 we are going with this uh, dropping a grenade into the hatch scenario, I'd say that the armadillo presents a very small target, uh, and that aperture, while it is a gaping one, is relatively small. 
it is literally the size of your occupant. And what is yeah. kind of cool is that you can slump your GI Joe into the armadillo fully so that when viewed from the front and the sides, in fact, uh, no part of the figure is exposed. It's only from the, the, the you know, right behind the armadillo. Or on top. Yeah, yeah or on top. Of course, of course. And the armadillo has has very sloped armor portions, which could probably deflect a lot of wild shooting, particularly from that nine millimeter gun. I mean, that's not going to really do a dent in the armadillo's armor. And for a tank, it is one hell of a nippy vehicle. Uh, I mean, it is legendary for its speed. While I, I battled to find statistics on it, it's evident in its introduction that it is able to move blindingly fast and outclass Cobra his tanks. And his tanks, you know, le let me just remind you, they are the high-speed sentries, which you know, also touted for their legendary speed. So, 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 would you really be able to get the drop on this bad boy? Hmm. Oh, I definitely know. I mean, if, if you, you know, I could always drop, if it ended up being some kind of high-speed chase situation, um, yeah, you're right, my, my 30 mil guns, or should I say nine more guns, um, are definitely going to have trouble, like, you know, keeping you, you off. But I think, um, I think I'd be able to, to swoop around, or I think I'd be able to get more speed. I don't know. I think the stun is potentially faster than a hiss. And, and I would, I'd, I'd imagine faster than an armadillo. I mean, it does seem to have more engine capacity to, to give it more, um, heft in its engines it can push out a lot more uh your main armament okay is fixed forward yes i so I, I can accept that it maybe has a longer range than the armadillo's cannon uh, i would say that the armadillo cannon could actually fire in a sort of an arc so it can, bring, it can bring shells down on top of you, whereas the stun is very much line of sight. And that becomes problematic because you've got elevation to those guns. Yeah. In order to get a kind of a lateral deviation, you've got to open up the clamshell. Mm. Yeah. And that's going to create yeah. wind resistance and also mess with, with targeting. I mean, like, as that thing swings around, it no doubt exerts some kind of force on the uh on the thing's forward motion so it's it's a inherently very unstable weapons platform if only one side could open at a time because then one side moving to the left could uh, and the other side's thing they would create a, a stabilizing kind of situation maybe to help it turn better oh i think opening opening one side only at high speeds is going to throw a lot of weight onto that side and and possibly dig your your turret into the ground I mean, it's a tricycle design. Oh, yeah. I gotta just, I, I gotta just say at this point that this matchup was um, <laughs> was given to us by Cujo in absentia, so uh, we have him to blame for this bonkers, bonkers vehicle selection. I, I yeah. do want to make one more argument though, quickly. Had if the scenario is one of a, a crew of armadillos, like, or maybe like a squad of armadillos, let's say two or three, and they are going towards like a cobra defense situation, so they are attacking a cobra base or something. I think the stuns would be a lot more dangerous in that regard because coming out like if equally matched four stuns against four armadillos, there's a firepower thing. Yeah, 
I, I'm, I, I can, I can agree that um, the Armadillo's rounds would shred the this gun, but I think the stun's just forward firing power or firepower would definitely put pressure on an armadillo. I think armadillos would have to do some serious strafing maneuvers to get around that kind of chaos, and that would separate them, forcing stuns to ultimately be able to possibly get on their six and take them out. But then the, the armadillo has the benefit of having a wider shot radius, as you mentioned earlier. Mm, it just occurred to me that it could fire artillery style, you know, bring rounds down on top of the stun. Exactly. So even yeah, if there like was a... terrain getting in the way, the stun would have, have to fire line of sight and the armadillos would be able to set up a barrage. So I think the scenario definitely, dep- it definitely depends on scenario, but hey, this, I think this is a point where we leave it to the listeners to, to vote which one they think would win in the battle. And, hey, if they could provide a reason, I would love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Damn it. So we don't get the satisfaction of, of an immediate result. Okay. Well, listeners, you know what to do. Twitter and Facebook, you will find these polls. And, uh, as I say, they will close as we move into 2018. So... I hope you beat uh, beat the international deadline. <laughs> I can't decide. I can't decide what Twitter and Facebook decide as uh, as as the the passing of the year. Is it South African time? Will it be uh, Eastern Standard Time or Daylight Savings Time? Hell, we've even uh, launched podcasts from Australia. So you know, it's anybody's guess. Moving swiftly along, though to our middle child of these debates. <laughs> Do you want to introduce this one, Paul? Yeah. Um, so let's have the G.I. Joe Rhino. And when I say Rhino, I mean Rapid Heli Integrated Neutralizing Offensive Vehicle. That's right. The APC with the helicopter from the original release is 2005, and it had a subsequent re-release as a movie line figure to the same name. Versus the awesome, awesome Cobra Rage. And I'm referring to Cobra Rage from 1990. Not the re-releases, not the black ones, not anything fancy, and not the Cobra Fury. Not that there is too much of a difference, but the Cobra Fury does come with an extra gun, which the Cobra Rage doesn't come with. And the Cobra Rage has the nice, smoothed-out, racing-style wheels. So... What's going to happen this time is Stevens representing Cobra. Cobra! And I'll be representing the Rhino. Yo, Joe! <laughs> so who gets to go first, bro? Yeah, uh, okay, so there's a Cobra Rage um, causing all kinds of damage. In the city, as Cobra is not robbing a bank. <laughs> That's a bit of a joke that alludes to an earlier episode. Um, no, this time Cobra is not robbing a bank, but they are laying siege uh, in the city because they want to take control of it, uh, control of its resources, and use it as a midpoint. Um, GI Joe has, because of international concerns, GI Joe can't send in a full force, so they decide. Well, let's send in the one one of our vehicles that is pretty badass. And the Rhino is that vehicle. It's hunting down the Rage. So, uh, some of the best things about the Cobra Rhino, uh, 
love it or hate it, the helicopter feature is a very cool addition to this vehicle. Initially, I did not love did not love divorcing the two, but it works so well. Uh, they work so well together, well separately from each other, in the sense that the the helo, although not the most um, well armed, makes for a great reconnaissance vehicle that can feed all kinds of data to the Rhino itself, which in itself is heavily armed and full to the broom with really, really angry G.I. Joes ready to bring on freedom. But um, let's talk about its guns, which just for the record, there is very little information. I mean, the blueprints for this thing aren't um, the most uh, forgiving, forthcoming, should I say, rather, um, in terms of the armaments. So I'm just going to assume that... The chain gun is a standard chain gun. I'm guessing it's probably, I don't know, like a 20 mil kind of chain gun. And that's like, well, in, in, in most configurations, that's pointing to the front. Uh, but that's the beauty of this weapon. It can point its guns in all kinds of directions, making it a whole bunch of death. Let's not forget the rocket pods. It has six rockets per rocket pod, which can be mounted on the front of the vehicle or on the rear of the vehicle. Meaning it can uh, it can use elevate or it can do body style attacks at range, but it needs to find the rage first. So the helicopter starts off looking for the Cobra Rage, or at least starts hunting down the Cobra Rage that's causing trouble and delivering alley vipers into this poor city. How does the Cobra Rage defend itself? Well, first up, instant points for being called the Cobra Rage, which is. Possibly one of the coolest names for a vehicle. It does not possess a strained acronym. I mean, Rhino is a good name, but making it a rapid, heli, what? Integrated... Integrated, neutralizing offensive vehicle. (laughs) Okay, okay, just quit while you're ahead, please. (laughs) You had me at Rhino, then you had to make it a fucking acronym. Anyways, so what is the Rhino? It is a number of things. Is it an APC? Is it an attack vehicle? Is it a vehicle with the sole responsibility of launching a two-man helicopter? It's all three. What is the rage? It is a dedicated attack vehicle. It's low-slung and crammed with zero regard for aesthetics. Absolutely every inch of it possesses devastating weaponry it is absolute function over form and it's just a rolling dealer of death you know for all the rhinos capabilities it is not purpose-built with dealing death in mind (laughs) the rage however (laughs) most certainly is i mean can we just can we just take a moment to admire all the points of weaponry this thing has bristling all over its body okay right up front behind a very solid ram bar is a chain gun just to the side of that a rocket pod riding on top two turrets side by side in a gunner station that offers fantastic visibility (laughs) unparalleled visibility in fact he is flapping in the wind But that kind of visibility is exactly what you need when lightning-fast response time is needed. What good is having all that weaponry if you can't bring it to bear immediately? The Rhino has 
piss poor visibility all over. Like it, it, it cannot drive using traditional means. Essentially, uh, the driver <laughs> has got like I don't know. Effectively, the, the the size of a brick. That is his vision. That's all he's got. Anyways, I was talking about the Rage's weapons before I talked smack. You have four missiles, which the blueprints unhelpfully call air-to-air missiles. <laughs> we can we can assume they mean surface-to-air missiles. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you very much. Because I doubt the, the Rage, for all its speed, is likely to be an aerial assault craft. And just when you thought that was enough weaponry... The turret can spring up to reveal not one, but two more Gatling guns and a mine dispenser. Huh. Wow. I wonder how many minutes it took me to describe the weapon systems on this thing. But as I say, it is a dedicated assault vehicle. It rides really low, presenting a small target. It is dedicated to urban environments, and it possesses a range of weaponry that can deal with pretty much anything it's going to encounter. Anything that the Rhino can throw at it. So what do you say to that, Paulie? I say that where the Rhino will outlast the the Rage is that the Rhino is more heavily armored. And, uh, I mean, if we have to put them head-to-head in a, in a battle, the Rhino is more heavily armored, and I think it can take a lot of the abuse that the Rage can give out as long as it stays on the sides or behind the rage. Now, this might seem like an obvious thing, but the rage is, I feel that the rage is like most, it's, it's, it's strongest, um, sort of weapon functions the best firing forward, uh, because if it has to turn too much to the side and fire off, it's going to, uh, flip that little vehicle over or possibly, or it's going to destabilize its angle. So it's not something you can really shoot while moving. I feel I feel that's what the chain guns are there for is to you know provide support, provide fire while it's moving or trying to get away or at least get to something. Oh, but so but hang on, it's got such a wide wheelbase. Uh, it's a very yeah, stable it, stable gun platform. I mean that's that's its whole shtick, that's its whole gimmick to having such extremely strange mm-hmm. tires and so widely set apart would probably help this thing corner really really well and also keep it from destabilizing you know if, if if it was to keep up a high rate of fire while moving i don't think it would flip something that wide it's gonna really battle to flip yeah but like but uh if it was in a high speed chase though or in a in a chase scenario if it was pushed into being moved and it had to try and fire that cannon regardless of its stability it's still gonna slow it down dramatically i feel okay or mess with its Mess with its steering ability. Look, I can appreciate that because it is a very high caliber weapon. But that yeah. just makes it even more likely to defeat whatever kind of armor the Rhino is packing. And let me remind you that you can pack as much armor plate as you want onto the terrestrial parts of the Rhino. But yeah. its central mass is occupied by an aircraft. An aircraft, by design, cannot possess... You know, there's a limitation to how much armor an aircraft can possibly have, because uh, otherwise it'll never get airborne. And once it is airborne, it'll have the maneuverability of uh, a steam iron. So, you know, and you've got this massive glass portion occupying the center of this vehicle. I mean, a high-explosive anti-tank round would have no problem punching right through that and then exploding 
your rhino from the inside, splatter oh, totally. the poor troop sections. No one would live! <laughs> Which is why I think it's, it's paramount that um, if the rhino engages in any kind of combat with the rage or any kind of vehicle, that the helicopter portion is, um, you know, separated. If anything, just to give support fire, I mean, uh, you're driving the rage and you're dealing with a helo that is pissing on you with uh, whatever rounds it's got in that little gun of its, uh, of his, and he's got his little rockets, and then you're still dealing with the, the big mama behind you or next to you or in front of you, and it's very difficult for the, you know, for, for that crew to, to keep their heads on straight. I mean, the vehicle, I, I can agree that the, the Rage is designed for it, but I think the... I, I think it definitely comes down to the crew and that's a, a situation. I think if, if it's piloted by Alley Vipers and they're all on point and they are as heartless and as cold as they made out to be, then they've got a cool head. Then, um, I think the Rhino, you know, putting its stress on it is still going to cause a lot of hell. I mean, you've got this little helicopter that's moving. It's quite zippy. Yes, it's easy to take down. Uh, but the Rage, you know, if it wants to shoot up, it's got those two missiles, which is great. You know, and if the helicopter can avoid those two missiles, then the Rage has got a huge problem because, you know, that helicopter's got its own set of armaments to, to just irritate it with. And, uh, you know, take out the gunner. I mean, the, the helo, the helicopter can take out the, um, the main gunner of the Rage. And the other weakness is, well, I suppose the driver and the co-driver are, are fairly okay. But if that Rage gets behind me or gets behind the, the Rhino, I think that's its most heavily fortified part. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that the Rhino inside has a lot better, it's got a lot better like radar, if that makes sense. So the Rhino could essentially um, sort of hide itself, if that makes sense. It could hide itself and it's got all of this tech, tech inside it that they can use it to find the rage. I mean, I'm going to pull stuff out of my ass now, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Rhino, Rhino has some kind of sense um, sonar kind of uh, style weapon or style thing. I mean, it's got community, it's got technology inside it, so I can only imagine that it could use some kind of sonar to pick up where any movement is on the ground and um, allow, you know, allow itself to pinpoint and wait for the opportune moment for the rage. That's one way I can see it winning. Another is those six missiles on it. If the rage had to get in front of the rhino, I think it's one or two of those missiles and the rage is done. I, oh, I yeah. think... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that goes without saying. The, the firepower on the Rhino, if it can line up the shots, yeah, those missiles seem, seem dedicated tank killers. Uh, so, yeah, the rage, the rage would succumb within you know, a single shot. Definitely. But, and, and, and this is something that I, that I did anticipate... Because, of course, the Rhino's strength is that it can effectively become two targets. It can disengage mm. the helicopter, use the helicopter as a spotter to line up that missile shot that you want. But helicopters are extremely vulnerable to ground fire. An RPG, which is an unguided, short-range, rocket-propelled grenade fired from an RPG-7 or even from the muzzle of a rifle... Yeah. Can knock a helicopter out of the sky. Uh, I don't think I don't think we can necessarily dispute that point. Yeah. The Rage has not two but four sophisticated laser-guided surface-to-air missiles. 
Four chances oh, at knocking out. Yes, the number is four, my brother. Four chances at knocking out that uh, that chopper, which is an extremely vulnerable way of 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 doing urban warfare because your options when piloting that chopper are extremely limited in that kind of environment. The rage is dedicated for urban warfare and would therefore be able to squeeze in and maneuver around lower obstacles, keeping itself out of sight, moving at an extreme speed until it was in a position to take a shot at the helicopter. It would be interesting to see how that plays out, but obviously I'm going to say the rage manages to bring that, that whirly bird down. Then all of a sudden the rhino has no eyes and it's missing a portion of its own vehicle mass. <laughs> okay, so that, that's how I address the, the missile uh, issue and the, the sort of swatting the pesky, pesky whirly bird out of the sky. And then you spoke about personnel, and this is intriguing. I mean, you told me that I had a bunch of alley vipers on board. I would ask you then to take a gander at the Rage's box art, which features the operators that I'd prefer to have on board. You've got a Range Viper. You've got a rock viper, you've got a night creeper, and the other member of crew is not just a cobra viper, but the most lethal, the most effective killer of G.I. Joe ever written about in the Marvel comic by Larry Harmer, which I'm sure most Joe fans out there regard as gospel. The Saw Viper. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Saw Viper rides the rage <laughs> and i am admiring this box art for a number of reasons but chief amongst them is the artist endeavored to make every single weapon on this thing fire simultaneously <laughs> simultaneously and it is a rather devastating practically 360 degree arc of firepower i mean the thing seems to be in motion at the same time so like there goes your argument about uh, the firepower <laughs> destabilizing it or maybe if it fires everything all at once in every direction it somehow creates its it own inherent it. yeah exactly its own inherent stability because <laughs> it is dropping mines it is launching a missile it is firing out of all three gatling guns both barrels of the cannon are firing simultaneously. The rocket pod is expending, it looks like, absolutely every single rocket. And Saw Viper, no doubt, is putting bullets through Doc and Thunder and Crazy Legs. <laughs> so it's, it's all-out mayhem. And they've got a ninja on board. And we know what ninjas can do. So, so, that's my trump card. What you got? Well... Coming back to, okay, so, okay, so hopefully, um, my rhino does manage to get you to expend every single round, every, you know, unleash every salvo of missile, rocket, uh, a missile and rocket that you have, deplete oh, your no! mind. You went there. <laughs> Ammo storage. Capacity. Deplete your mind. I don't know how many rounds that concussion cannon has, but I can't imagine it's too many. <laughs> yeah, especially um, since the operator's feet basically bottom end into the barrels. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And the sad thing about Gatling guns is that for all of the firepower that they have, they run out of juice very quickly. And luckily, the Rhino has what I can only imagine to be quite a good store of ammunition. Um, 
I, I, I mean, rockets are, are on the, are, are a whole different story. I mean, there's only got, there's only got six rockets, but the chain guns and the, you know, the, the, the two chain guns, the mount machine gun and that sort of dual headed cannon that it's got. I've got a good feeling that there is plenty of bullets on that there, um, on that there rhino. One only has to look at, um, alien, uh, or should I say aliens, uh, to see how well their APC fit against common threats and, and how, you know, well protected the, the people inside it were, despite it losing its wheels and, you know, suffering through its many redundancies, but ultimately managing the to aliens get quite... didn't pack any armor piercing rounds, my brother. No, they are armor piercing rounds. <laughs> but, uh, I would say that the Rhino came into this thing with bigger guns, bigger and more guns, and a tougher hide with with its little bird uh, that can fly and, and tweet locations and, and irritate its enemy. And, and I think that's ultimately what what's going to keep it winning. I still think it can outlast the Rage in terms of pure firepower. It's pretty much a David and Goliath situation, although I don't think the Rage is uh, quite as witty as the Rhino. I hate I hate saying that. <laughs> oh well, my parting shot then is just going to be a repeat of of what I said up front. The Rhino is a split vehicle. It literally and figuratively, it splits itself into two, and also it has a split function. Is it an APC? Is it a helicopter launcher? Is it an assault vehicle? How can it do all three and be best at all functions? The Rage, however, is a dedicated assault craft and it's absolutely bristling with all that it needs to wipe out its opposition oh one one small thing just because why not if the rage had to somehow catch a light or incendiary rounds were used on it or something yeah i think the rage and and just this is just my final argument i think the rage in a lot of ways for all of its awesomeness in terms of being low slung uh, in terms of it having a design which, to me, feels like it could repel oncoming fire, not necessarily by deflecting it, just by redirecting it, should I say. I do think it's very vulnerable in that it is a lot more open than the Rhino is. I mean, the Rhino being closed and also, oddly enough, being a G.I. Joe vehicle that has some very good armor coverage and also lots of glass, <laughs> despite that, it's still more protected than the, than the Rage. But I think... I think we have exhausted this battle, and I think it's really up to our listeners to decide now and see which one of them wins. And and don't just be like traditionalist vintage fans. Uh, you know, listen to the arguments. Look at the toy. If you've got them, play with the toys. Get your kids to grab, or get your kids or your brother or your friends to grab the rage and, you know, fight it out in your living room. And then ultimately vote Cobra. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll take it. The Saw Viper thanks you. <laughs> yeah, Yo, hey, ho, everybody ho. loves the Soul Viper. Hey, don't you just love a Cobra that kills G.I. Joes? <laughs> <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Final matchup, and this is the most exotic of all. Toys that we don't have, and boy, do we want after this. It's the G.I. Joe defense mech from 2004, Versus the Cobra Deviant Mech from 2010. 
My word, Paul. Did these guys just jump up and blindside you or what? You know, I had the opportunity to get them and I was going through a very fussy phase where I didn't want to get anything that was too reliant on a spring-loaded rocket launcher and thus passed over both of them uh, because of that spring-loaded rocket launcher feature. But looking at it back in hindsight, and hindsight is 2020, as you say, I really regret not buying the when I had the chance <laughs> because they are very cool toys and very cool vehicles. Just to clarify, we're not talking about the G.I. Joe mech that came out alongside the Cobra Deviant. I think that was called the Iron Mech. Or the Steel Marauder or something. Steel Marauder, that's it. That shared uh, the same sort of arm-swapping function as the Deviant, so you could kind of mix and match those two. No, we're talking about a throwback mech, which actually, it looks more like powered armor because the occupant's legs and arms are exposed from the carapace of the the mech and sort of holding on to the mech's arms and legs by virtue of like a sort of a control lever. Do yourself a favor, if you're not familiar with the vehicles under discussion, try and find a, a browser and, and Google them, get some images in front of you because that really will give you a firmer idea of, of what we're talking about because... Yeah, if if I if the tables were turned and I was listening back to this podcast, I would also be scratching my head at this point. The Cobra Deviant encloses its occupant in a, uh, a co- it's more more traditional style cockpit, um, mm. and it has some rather unique melee weapons. But we're going to get into that in our debate. I hope if you are listening to this, you have some idea of what we're talking about. But yes, this is a first on G.I. Joburg. We've typically always done more traditional vehicle matchups. These are two mechs from different eras in the line. I think the one is Spy Troops and the other is Pursuit of Cobra. But they are now dueling it out in the ruins of a city. I'm going to let you conjure up images of the end sequences from Full Metal Jacket, a bombed-out city enshrouded by jungle and the gathering darkness under which fires rage out of control, creating an eerie, flickering light. Two operatives enter this battlefield, one a G.I. Joe, the other a Cobra, but they're operating the latest in sophisticated battlefield enhancements. They are operating mech suits. Paul, who are you repping on this one? I'm repping the Cobra Deviant. Cobra! (laughs) And I'll be repping the defense mech. And this is an interesting matchup because the designs are so vastly different. As said before, the Cobra vehicle is fully enclosed. The G.I. Joe mech is more like powered armor. But I would put it to you, sir, that that gives me better speed, lower weight, and more maneuverability. And let's face it, mechs are effectively just a step up from infantry. They possess armor, they have greater ammunition stores, and yet their greatest advantage is that they're able to move over terrain like infantry can. Yeah, they don't have the limitations of a tank, for example. So which of these two combatants does it better? I'm going to fire off the first round, and the first argument I'm going to make 
the first great thing about the G.I. Joe defense mech, I know you guys are scratching your head going, huh, why is he talking about that? But it's worth saying, it's one of the few vehicles that makes the new sculpt era of G.I. Joe's, or should I say it's one of the few vehicles that justifies new sculpt era G.I. Joe's, because ultimately they're the only G.I. Joe's with a shoulder with wide enough to sort of create the convincing exosuit style look that this uh, vehicle requires. Uh, but that's all I'll say about that. But the first thing I'd like to take a shot at is the legs. The best thing about having a mech on the battlefield is the fact that, yes, it has, as Stephen so eloquently put it, the maneuverability of the infantryman with, uh, the, sort of, with the armor of a tank um, and the weaponry of something like a tank. So I'm going to defer to all kinds of sources. A, I'm a big nut for mech suits and... Uh, mobile suits, as many of you know, I'm a huge Gundam fan. I've played lots of mech-based video games. And as much as I love the bipedal human-style walking that something like a Gundam has, which is ultimately what the Joe exosuit has, or the, the Joe... I keep forgetting the name of this damn thing. What the hell? Defense mech. There we go, the G.I. Joe defense G.I. Joe's mech. defend, Cobras deviate. That's right. So the biggest uh, disadvantage that the defense mech has is that it actually has human-style walking, uh, which, being human beings uh, and knowing how spry we are, uh, you would think, okay, cool, um, you know, he can move really well, but the weakness there is that it relies on a human's locomotion. There's a human being there in that suit that is physically moving the legs, uh, which means that he has to be very fit, be very strong, and, uh, you know, be able to, when the, some of those mix systems fail, he's going to have to work even harder uh, to move that machine around. Whereas the Cobra unit uses, or the Defiant, the Deviant, Defiant, <laughs> whereas the Deviant has a, what we call a chicken walker style configuration for its legs, which actually work better for terrain. And the example I'd quote is Mech Warrior. If you guys have ever seen the video game or what's the old cartoon called Battletech, generally the Timberwolf style or Chicken Leg style mechs tend to have much better mobility and they can jump higher uh, because they don't have to rely on all kinds of boosters put onto the actual main hull of the mech. They can use a lot of uh, the pneumatics and everything that is built into the legs. So just right off the bat, the Cobra Deviant is a lot more maneuverable than the defense mech. The defense mech also has the benefit of protecting its pilot uh, in the sense that, yes, they're sitting in a canopy. Yes, the canopy is glass-based, but it still has a very armored chin, which makes it you know, safer from small arms fire. And I would feel that the defense mech, although it, they might be able to look at each other eye to eye, I don't feel that... There is too much immediate concern from the de- deviance pilot from the defense mech. In other words, the defense mech to really get some critical hits in has to elevate itself, has to either jump it, get itself into the air, which if you pilot mechs, um, is a very dangerous place to be unless you have a plan. And um, whenever you're being offensive and you're coming at that kind of angle uh, from the sky, well, you're a very big target and very easy target to hit because the Cobra Deviant seems to be fairly well designed for close-range combat. Uh, it's got that big missile battering ram 
situation on its left hand. And on the right hand, it's got a grappling hook, which I could only imagine would be super useful to shorten the range between you and your target. I would shoot that thing off and hook anything with that, uh, that I could with it and just keep it in my snare and unleash those Gatling guns and what appears to be rocket guns just next to the cockpit. Uh, I just want to just check oh, the blue. I'm not yeah. so sure about that bit of armament because that's what I <laughs> want to get into, buddy. I've got a greater standoff range than you. You have, yeah, no, you definitely have more range. I, I, I won't argue that, which is why it's so crucial for me to, or for my deviant to get in very close to you, which I feel it could because of my maneuverability. And if I jump, I've got more control with the jump because of the, the landing legs. Uh, my legs would take more, would be able to dissipate the shock better than your exosuit because your exosuit would still rely on the human being inside reeling from the slight shock of the landing. But that's just hmm. my feeling on it. <laughs> oh, no, okay, so that's not a rocket launcher. That is some kind of targeting light, according to the artwork. Oh, oh, shucks. Oh. Shucks. So, what say you? Well, I, I, I come back to the range argument. I have two missiles to bring to bear on you, which, you know, would have a likelihood of hitting... You are a bigger target than me. Perhaps you run a little bit hotter as well. I'd say, you know, those those missiles probably probably home in on heat heat signatures, uh, and and you'd be giving off quite a bit of that uh, with your uh, chicken leg design and all the energy mm-hmm. that uh, such design expends. So you know, I've I've got the the early advantage by if I see you and you're kind of out of out of range of, of small arms fire and, and obviously melee weapon uh, range, I could KO you immediately. You could definitely be a good shot to me. What I lack in range, if I could, if I get close into you, I don't even have to focus my fire so much because your knees are exposed. Your human, human knees. <laughs> <laughs> so if I just jump in the air or and do a strafe jumping technique where I spiral into you, like either strafing right or left, with my Gatling gun sort of firing intermittently and not really aiming for your, your cockpit at all, just aiming for your knees, I could deliver the coup de grace with my giant battering-style left arm weapon. Wow, this thing actually is quite OP. <laughs> like, like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, no. What's OP? Uh, overpowered. Okay, if we are going to then skip to a, 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 a situation where you're closer or, or the, the, the action is taking place close in, I will put it to you, sir, that while the Cobra Deviant is operated by a very proficient, very specialized troop called Cyber Viper, not to be confused with the Mega Marine Cyber Viper, this Cyber Viper is a bio-cybernetic being. Uh, he has implants which allow him to organically interface with the computerized systems that the Cobra Deviant possesses. And using these interconnections, they operate the suits as extensions of their minds and bodies, giving them a powerful advantage over the G.I. Joe team when they encounter them in night-shrouded streets of the city. I read that from the file card. Ha. Uh-huh. So these guys are one with their machine, but they are essentially 
gamers. Right? Yes. They are video game pilots. Like myself. Can I tell you who pilots the defense mech? Uh, Leatherneck. Leatherneck. One of the hardest motherfuckers the G.I. Joe team ever enlisted. This guy is adept in many forms of combat. And he treats the mech as an extension of his own abilities, his own God-given flesh and bone soldiering abilities and tactics. He's a superior soldier to Cyber Viper. And by using this mech suit just as a weapon, not as a shield, not as his be-all and end-all combat tactic, but by using it just as a big, useful tool, he is a superior, a superior operator. He knows all about jungle combat, urban combat. He's a tough-as-nails marine. And I would put it to you, sir, that if we were playing a skillful game of outmaneuver, the marine with the experience in a one-on-one scenario outclasses and outmatches the recliner seat, climate-controlled Cyber Viper ranks. I, I can agree with that. I mean, I, I'll give you that because uh, experience trumps technology as well in some in some regards, and wisdom trumps youth. So I, I can see I can see where you're coming from with that argument. You know, the the poor cyber viper who's unseasoned isn't necessarily sort of aware of some of the witty tactics that somebody like Leatherneck would employ because he doesn't have all of that battlefield experience. And the battlefield experience he has is, like you said, in a cockpit, which is why he's quite lucky to have quite an armored shell. Um, <laughs> because wow, you really are wanting to take some hits, huh? Uh-huh. But, I mean, you, you're, like, your guy is, like, all glass. Just like, you know, he, he's just... It's just glass. I mean, like, I get it. Maybe it will sustain some of the Gatling gunfire. But, I mean, that battering ram, I mean, it, I, I, unfortunately, it's all as all I've got. If I unleash that and I hit you, it, it's dead. If Leatherneck lets you get that close, man, I mean, he's got a very formidable weapon on the right arm. So even if I've expended my two anti-tank missiles, that cannon, that gun... Uh, I mean, the sound effect plays a a rat-a-tat-a-tat and then also a, a sort of a cannon sound, a boom, boom, boom. So, you know, it's it's a high-caliber weapon and in medium to close range, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter where I hit the Cobra Deviant. It yeah. cannot withstand, withstand sustained fire uh, from a gun that big. It's just too thin-skinned, even on its armor portions. So even See, if I don't manage to get you in the glass, I could reduce your vehicle to... Uh, your vehicle's functionality. And with reduced functionality, I mean, it's not like the Cyber Viper's going to stand a chance going naked. Uh, yeah. No, I agree there. Leatherneck would eat you up, baby. I'd even go as far as to say that that Leatherneck might even be more efficient without the power armor. <laughs> I was wondering if if you were gonna raise that. I mean, yeah, no, he 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 might stand a chance, uh, you know, just going naked into battle and 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 using 
some kind of booby trap to take down yeah. the Cobra Deviant. Rainbow Star. <laughs> but since the mech is such a low-profile, essentially just powered armor, he might be yeah. able to achieve both. You know, use his wily ways to create some kind of booby trap for the much heavier, much larger Cobra Deviant. I mean, I'm just looking at a size comparison between the two, and yeah. the Deviant is like a third taller and twice as wide, if not three times as wide as the the GI Joe vehicle under consideration. Mm. So that's something you gotta you gotta bear in mind, man. Especially when closing that distance, in order to use your weaponry, you present a bigger target. Uh, that, this is true. That's why that is why I think still coming back to what I said in the beginning. I know that it's got a wider profile, a wider silhouette, and as you've mentioned now. But the mobility of the chicken walker legs really do lend themselves very well. I don't think that the Cobra Deviant is so overpowered that it would completely destroy the defense mech um, without thinking. But I do think statistically, if the defense mech is not piloted by somebody like Leatherneck and is piloted by not, a green shirt... Even like a, Still brigade or a green shirt or like even non-Joe personnel. I think vehicle-wise, I think it's inferior to the devi- uh, to the deviant. The weaponry is impressive. I, I, I'll give it that. In fact, it's really impressive. I, I even think it's aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> Interesting for something of that era to be aesthetically pleasing. Pleasing. You yeah. Know, it, it came it came in a group with a bad name, basically. The yeah. new sculpt era, spy troops, but yeah, it's a it's a good design. I even like the, the, the figure having their arms exposed and grasping the control sticks on the, the weapon arms. Because, you know, it kind of avoids the awkwardness of powered armor where it's like, yeah, but how can a guy put his arms into robot arms? You know, wouldn't the servos and stuff like completely twist and mangle and break the the fleshy bits? One final point that I'd like to make about the defense mech. I don't know if there are things that you still want to raise, but I think I'm pretty much spent. Uh, even if you take Leatherneck out of the equation, the defense mech, because of its minimalist bare bones design, the soldier operating it is still able to use his own sensors. He's not enclosed completely. He's still able to read the terrain. He's still able to turn his head uh, and also use his own ears. Something large and rumbling and mechanical like the Deviant gives itself away. It has a big old signature. Um, Even if we're just thinking about the sort of the audio that it's putting out, you know, the walking of it. I don't think the operator of the Deviant would be able to just listen out for the the, the footfalls of another enemy mech, unless the vehicle had some kind of ears. Uh, Whereas the operator of the defense mech, he can. He's got everything that the the armor offers him in terms of ammunition, mobility, survivability, but it doesn't take anything away from his own intuition and his own senses and his own ability to be a competent soldier. Whereas, as I said before, Cyber Viper, he's a video game jock. Ha! What you got, Paul? 
I am also spent. There's nothing else I can say about the Deviant um, that I haven't said. Um, and I think ultimately, uh, you know, it, it's going to get niggly, and I think it needs to get to a point where, yes, vehicle against vehicle, I'll still stand by the fact that the Deviant is a stronger design just in terms of, of, of its purpose. But... And I don't really want to list its weaknesses because I know one of its glaring weaknesses, something you haven't actually pointed out yet. So I'm just going to leave it there. Um, oh, in damn the it. Ether, maybe what? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hopefully one of our readers will, uh, will uh, listeners will pick up on it. Should I say, Rod, not readers? Well, not 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 if uh, if you have anything to say about it. I, I bet you hope no one picks up on it then, because I, uh, you know if that's a trump card and I've missed it, damn it. Yeah. No, well, we'll see. Let's see what happens. I mean, uh, and then just also something that's worth mentioning. Yes, they both give off a heat signature. Yes, the Deviant possibly does give off a big heat signature. Um, the environment, as much as it's full of fire and things like that, that could confuse a heat signature. There are other ways of finding your enemy. And, you know, mix, you know, like the thing with mix is, is that, they have very limited radar range, and, and, and I would imagine so does the exosuit. But I think sitting in a cockpit, maybe not being able to address your battlefield uh, fully, still gives you a bit of a psychological advantage. I think um, anybody inside the defense mech may feel quite a bit more vulnerable, um, having their arms and their knees exposed. I know I would. I'd be... Um, very worried that somebody would shoot me in the knees and, and some of the, and, and for the same reason, I don't own one of those hiss tank tread ripper things that they released in 2015 or whatever it was, uh, where it's basically two giant hiss tank treads with some guns and an exposed driver. It's the same thing. That's the same like barrier for me when it comes to, to the defense. Haha. <laughs> Buddy, I, I think in this case, especially in a one-on-one deathmatch style uh, cat and mouse hunt, mm. I think vulnerability might even improve your survival chances because you're that much more alert. You're not sitting confident in your cockpit and you know behind your armored glass thinking, I got this. Uh, true. Uh, you very are true. very, very careful. Exactly, and that's why I don't want to go into that kind of niggly territory. I, I'd like to see what our listeners uh, come up with um, and get into that because we could go. I mean, we could argue all kinds of psychology and all kinds of silly stuff, but at the end of the day, we're really just putting together two really awesome G.I. Joe vehicles that, honestly, both of us should own and <laughs> and, and having them duke it out, and, and that's a cool thing. And also, just something to the listeners just to remember – uh, in a lot of ways, we're not so much comparing the toys, uh, because I can e- easily say that a stun versus an armadillo. <laughs> wow, let's see. I- I'm sure Jim's going to love this. A stun versus an armadillo. I think a stun makes for a more interesting toy than an armadillo does. But I think when you put them together head to head as real life vehicles, uh, that's what we're doing here today. So if our listeners could try to focus on the real-world application of these vehicles against each other, or real-world, believable, fun, imaginative scenarios, uh, I would say, rather than trying to put the toys up against uh, each other, I think uh, you'll have a lot more fun. Couldn't have said it better myself, Paul, my man. 
So, ladies and gentlemen of the audience, it's in your hands now. We are going to open this poll on Twitter, on our Facebook group. Yeah, baby. Uh, and the matchups are as follows. The G.I. Joe Armadillo versus the Cobra Stun. The G.I. Joe Rhino Rapid Helo Integrated Neutralizing Offensive Whatever. <laughs> Versus the Cobra Rage. And finally, the G.I. Joe Defense Mech versus the Cobra Deviant. Let us know which vehicle comes out on top. Any parting shots you'd like to make before we sign off for this episode 106, Paul? I'd just like our listeners to have a really amazing holiday season. Uh, we hope that that uh, some of our discussions have livened up your festive moods and that you are on eBay right now uh, considering a defense mech and Cobra Deviant. Um, I know I will I be. know I am. Jeez. Yeah, I am right now as, we, as we're recording this. I'm looking at them. But other than that, yeah, uh, we are trying to get ourselves to, to GI JoeCon or to JoeCon 2018. And, uh, we do need your support. It is not something we can do by ourselves. It is not because we haven't tried. So we really do need your support. And we want to be there, not just because it's JoeCon 2018 and not just because it's the last one, but there's a high possibility that we'll get to meet all of you guys or some of you guys. And, that really excites us, and the idea of going through there as GI Joe book really, really excites me at least. But I know that I speak for the for GI Joe book when I say that we are very keen on this. We're very nervous. We're doing everything we can to try and make this happen, and we love you guys. Yay! Well said. Hey. All that remains to be said, I guess, is the link to our GoFundMe page will be in the description for this video slash podcast release. Please consider it. Uh, check out our GoFundMe video. It'll be on the webpage and on YouTube on our G.I. Joburg channel. Uh, check it out. It has plenty of information. And there are incentives. Can you believe it? A charity, essentially, that has incentives? Well, yes, we, we'd like to um, reward particularly generous donations with uh, goodies like T-shirts and art prints and, hey, look, someone said it the other day on the YouTube account that if every one of our 2,000 subs gave us five bucks, we'd be able to achieve our goal two times over. So, and that's a thousand handshakes we, really, we are willing to give. <laughs> <laughs> so please consider it. It really can be as much as five dollars. Uh, it doesn't have to be any more than that. Um, every little bit really, really counts. So, yeah, if you'd like to make our dream come true, you can be the change. Make that change. <laughs> <laughs> we, of course, appreciate that it is the holidays and times are tight. But uh, we'd really like to get those flights a as soon as possible. So, as I say, if you can shell out five bucks, that would be amazing. And, yes, we've never made it our thing to ask for money. Um, we like this. We do this because we love doing this. And we love yeah. the fact that it gets a response and that the people out there who listen to our ramblings, it's wonderful. So this isn't somehow remuneration for uh, past efforts. This is seriously just like a shot at a dream, a wish, a, 
a long-standing goal that we finally decided maybe, just maybe, we have the fan base to help us make into a reality. And on that note, some shout-outs to G.I. Joburg peeps out there that uh, I think really, really uh, should, be, should, be, should be praised on the show. Mike Horsley, your Cobra missile base is insane, okay? Uh, anyone listening to this who's not a member of our, our G.I. Joburg closed group or one of the groups that Mike is posting this stuff to on Facebook, please consider joining us. He's posted updates leading up to this point, but he has just posted a video clip showing off its features, its intricacies. It is a beautiful, beautiful playset, and I can't wait to see it cropping up in dire stories and just inspiring other people to make incredible work like this. It is, It defies explanation. You have to see it for yourself. In the same breath... Our good buddy Jim Godfrey has produced yet another spectacular custom and posted on the, the G.I. Joburg closed group. It is none other than Crystal Ball in a very stylized fashion, but in every way an improvement on the original design. So if you like... So cool. If you like your classic characters being updated uh, in line with, I suppose, modern era sensibilities, Jim is absolutely the man. Finally, Dustin Verberg. This guy's an author... He reached out to us at G.I. Joburg to contribute to a uh, an article he wrote about the core. You can find his stuff on thedragonfortress.wordpress.com. His blog is very entertaining and chock full of stuff that anyone who is a fan of the show would love to read. So if you're looking for some festive reading while you're <laughs> laying down the Boxing Day cable... <laughs> <laughs> Check out Dustin's blog. If you guys are users of Instagram, the Dragon Fortress has a very cool Instagram page. Um, he always posts really fun uh, photo shoots with his toys, doing what they do best. Um, so go and check that out as well. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, so if you get a chance, swing past. And with that, it's bringing us to the end of our 106th outing. I know what I'm going to do, Paul. I'm going to break out my rage and my rhino and obliterate that G.I. Joe hunk of junk. <laughs> I'm going to go and park my rhino on top of my Cobra Fury in uh, solidarity for the rhino. <laughs> yeah, whatever. You're going down, son. You're going down. I'm going to play Aliens in the background, and we're going to have that whole piece of music that... seen as I'm driving over the Fury over and over and over again with my rhino. I don't know if that's a good omen for you, dude. The Colonial Marines got pasted on that mission. But anyway, whatever, whatever. <laughs> All right, you beautiful G.I. Joe burgers, you. I'm out. I'm Jingle Bells, Paul, and uh, <laughs> we'll catch you soon. Merry Christmas, and to all, a good night. Happy holidays, just in case. <laughs> Sweet.